In verse number 22, Acts 26, verse 22, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come that Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Verse 22 again, therefore having obtained help from God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this help and this strength which is promised to all who call upon your name. And we put our trust in you as we go about the preaching of the gospel in this session. As I give my testimony, may you be glorified in all things. And may the men believe the things that have happened and what I have seen and heard as they are only from the scriptures. You taught me from the scriptures. You teach us from the scriptures. And in the scriptures we have the word of life. We thank you, Father, for this meeting and the hope of the goodness that can come out of it through you. You can spread the gospel through us into the uttermost parts of the world. You can make us to fulfill our commission. You can make us sincere and without offense unto the coming of Christ. You can subdue our sins. You can spread the gospel through us for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And we ask that you would do it with all humility, with thanksgiving, with love, with kindness, and with our example being a benefit unto others. Help the men to understand my English and my message. For our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So thank you all for being here, men. I'm very happy to be here and to be among you. Uh, and the size of the numbers, they don't matter. It is nice if everyone is here in the world. I would be happy to have that. But we minister the gospel for the glory of the blessed God. There's not anything in it for ourselves except being faithful. There's no product that me and you are employed to sell. 
Um, we don't sell the gospel. We preach it and proclaim it, and God's elect will hear it. That's what we're thankful for. As the brother said in his opening, that we have been chosen, it's to be here. And I'm very thankful. I'm going to do something this morning that I don't normally do, but I have been asked. Um, it's, I had the brother here, uh, had the boo loose, is you had a whole bunch of names, I can only catch yeah, one. <laughs> and then also, uh, the man that helped with the organization asked me, I'm going to give my testimony. I I'm going to tell you as to how I came to be a missionary and uh, the mission that we're doing, uh, the organization I have founded, and how that all happened. And I'll start um, at the beginning. It's, my name is Heishimu Kolar. Heishimu Kolar. It's, it is on the book. And it's the book. It will be coming by tomorrow evening. And so by Thursday morning, it's everyone here will have your book of the Lord willing. It's for free um, because I've received so freely. I have been blessed by God that other people give to support uh, my ministry. I never ask people for money for myself. Um, I rely upon God in this ministry. And that is something that I want for you to do. I don't have any problem asking money for other people. If there's a missionary or if there's a project or we want to help children or we do medical mission, is I, I don't mind asking for other people. The Apostle Paul was extremely bold in asking that the saints would help the other saints in Jerusalem at a time of famine. Uh, so I don't see any problem with that. Um, it is right for our people to support us in the preaching of the gospel. If I preach faithfully, um, he has taught these other people to give. But we're not in the ministry uh, for money. We're not in ministry for glory or fame. We're not in ministry for power, but for the glory of Christ. And if our heart is sincere, he will purge it more and more. But he will use it and he'll bless a sincere heart. And a sincere heart comes by grace. Is after being crushed as a sinner and put back together again by God, made to be a partaker of his grace. That's what happened to Paul in Acts 26. He was crushed, humbled, he was broken, he was fixed, he was put back together again. He was healed by the grace of God that's in the gospel. My story starts in the beginning. I, as I heard the gospel in 1996, I was a sovereign grace preacher. And our, it's, our foundation is called Sovereign Grace. But I did not know the gospel. I was still in works religion. I knew about Calvinism. But I didn't know the name of Calvin. I, I understood the points of total depravity, unconditional election. 
irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. I didn't know the L of the limited atonement. That is all old equa doctrine. If you're equa pastors, if you look in your bookshelf, is a book by Mr. Lewis Burkhoff. It's his reforms, something or another, but it's a systematic theology. He preached the true gospel. The old equa pastors, the old equa missionaries from the United States and Canada preached the true gospel. And we've got to get back into that. But I was preaching the, the I was preaching the sovereignty of God in election. But I was not preaching the gospel of God's grace because I wasn't pointing sinners to Christ in all his sufficiency. And then I heard a message on the surety of the covenant, on the blood as of the everlasting covenant. If you open, please, into the book of 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 Genesis in chapter number 44. Now, this afternoon or, or, or after this, as I do plan to speak in a more expository way out of a verse of scripture, but for my purposes now, is we will turn the scriptures <clears throat> as, 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 as I see fit, as I see them uh Hitting into this message of a personal testimony. That this is not an exposition of scripture. It's, it's a personal testimony. But in the book of Genesis chapter number 44 verse number 32 it says this. And I want you to explain this doctrine if you know it. For your servant it, it, it's, he became surety. If you have a newer version, it may say it's the guarantor or the guarantee. The old King James has it accurate. I'm in the new King James here. It's your servant became surety. That word means responsible for the lad to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. What does that have to do with the gospel? Now, the gospel is the message of salvation. And the gospel is the message of all the scriptures. Do you remember from Acts 26 that we read earlier um, before I prayed that Paul said he's only been teaching absolutely nothing but the scriptures. It's the writing of Moses and the prophets that said what? That Christ should suffer and he'd be the first to rise He's the gospel, the sufferings of Christ, the glory that should follow, the victory won at the cross of Calvary. What does this say about Christ and the victory won in the gospel for the salvation of sinners 
who have been chosen by God. You have been chosen to be here. It's not by accident, right? And, and, and we have been chosen unto salvation if we have been saved. It's, it's election is the start of the gospel. It starts way back in eternity past. It did not just begin in time. It was a plan he had from all time that he brought it to pass. He brought it into fruition. Salvation by grace is on purpose. And you people in the north, it's you believe more in the providence and predestination and ordination of God than other people on earth and in Nigeria. I commend you for that. But let's get back unto the gospel and let's see it in all the scriptures that we're preaching Christ from. If you have a Sunday school book that's not preaching Christ. You can use that book, but you've got to preach Christ. Even if the author of that book is not preaching Christ. If the subject is money, you still got to preach Christ in the gospel. And the Bible has things to say about money, but all of it is about Christ Jesus. He's the subject. He's the message. And we do not cater unto men. And we do not give people what they want to hear. It's, it's we give them what pleases God. And God saves his people because of it. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to, to save those who believe. Not through foolish preaching and the preaching of nonsense. But the foolishness of preaching the gospel that saves sinners by our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that text have to do with the gospel in Genesis chapter 44 Verse number 32. Who can tell me? Sir. Yes, sir. Somebody is responsible for the life of someone. Somebody is responsible for the life of somebody else. What does that have to do with the gospel? That's a fact. That's what the text says. But what does it have to do with the gospel? The eternal God made his elect the responsibility of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was responsible to save us from the foundation of the world. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 7, verse, verse number 22. If you hold your hand there, though, it's in the book of Genesis as I may refer back to it again, but from Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 22 says, by so much more, he's talking about Melchizedek, that, 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 that eternal priesthood, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. There is a new covenant. There is a covenant of God's grace. 
That old covenant, according to Hebrews 8, you and I have broken and we could not obey. That is the responsibility of us bringing ourselves back unto God. If we have failed and we cannot make it, we are sinners. But Christ took the responsibility as the shepherd of the sheep. And when I heard that, that's when I was free. That the blood of the covenant has answered all of the responsibilities to bring us back unto God. Judah told his brother Joseph, even though he did not know who he was, that I have been made responsible for my brother Benjamin. And if, and, and if I don't bring him back, I told my father that I would bear the blame. I would bear the responsibility for the rest of my life forever. And the Lord Jesus Christ made a covenant with the eternal God before he became man he entered an agreement with God almighty himself to save his people he covenant that he would go down and he would die for them his blood would be shed the sheep would be helpless unable to get ourselves back Unto God, estranged as sinners in all of our rebellion. Here's what I heard that set me free. That all of my righteousness was a filthy rag. I had to be taken captive before I could be set free. I had quoted that verse a hundred times. I was a preacher and I was a sincere preacher. I was not acting different in private than public. I prided myself on my sincerity and that's the problem. I was trusting in my sincerity instead of Christ alone. And then I and 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 that's not trusting Christ. And then I realized that my sincerity was sin-stained. You hearing? Sin-stained. If all of our righteousness is filthy rags, what does that mean? Can God accept a filthy rag? If I murder a man and I tell his wife, to make up for, for what I've done unto your husband, I'm going to murder your daughter also. I'm going to rape her first. So, so surely you will forgive me for murdering your husband if I murder and rape your daughter too, right? Is that going to happen? Not in the justice of God. If I sin against God and I bring him a filthy rag and say, please now accept me. Is he going to accept me? No, 
He's never going to accept our filthy works as acceptance, as righteousness with God. It had to be the blood of the surety. Let me read you this other scripture. It's from Malachi 1. It's from Malachi 1. And, and you'll see that all the scriptures speak of Christ. All the scriptures preach the same message. Salvation by Christ in him crucified. That's what we have been sent to preach. It's in Malachi 1. Verse number 14. But cursed be the deceiver. Malachi 1.14 it's the last uh, um, it's the last Old Testament book but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male what's that male I have in my flock that I can give God it's Christ crucified he's given us the gospel message He's come unto us and said, come unto me through and by my son. He's accepted. He's acceptable. I'll receive you. He's an acceptable sacrifice. I'll, I'll be merciful. I'll be gracious unto the sinner for Christ's sake. Now, if I have Christ preached in the gospel and I come some other way, I'm a deceiver. Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow that I will be as good as I possibly can by the grace that you give me through Christ and for our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. But he sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He gives him a filthy rag. I have Christ, and instead of going by Christ and him alone, I go by me. I approach God by, 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 by my efforts and how I'm doing. That man is cursed. He's a deceiver. There was a man who went up into the temple, went to pray. And he said, God, I thank you. I'm not like him. Was that man heard or was he rejected by God? It's the book of Luke. In chapter number 18. <clears throat> Verse number 10 says, It was two men that went up to the temple to pray. It's the one a Pharisee. And these were self-righteous and despised others. And if I'm self-righteous, I have to. Because I think I'm so much better than somebody else. 
So I have to despise them and hate them in my heart because I can't love them if I think that I'm so much better than them. Is we can't love our Muslim neighbors until we think that we are sinners also who obtain mercy. And the only reason I'm in the kingdom is the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. And I've added nothing to it. I didn't do anything. But the other, he was a tax collector. He was a criminal in Abuja that was stealing all of the money from the people. He's old God that is on the road and he has machine gun and he extracts. This is huge in the South. He extracts the money out of you at the checkpoint. He forces the driver to give him money. And then the driver passes on the cost unto the people. He's an extortioner. He's a thief. He's a tax collector. He's a criminal. He's a lazy man who won't work, so he steals from others. He's as evil as he can be. But verse 11 is the Pharisee stood, stood and prayed thus, and it really says toward himself. He's pointing at himself in prayer instead of pointing at Christ Jesus. Instead of looking unto Christ, he's looking unto himself saying, I'm worthy, I'm special, I'm good enough. Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then what are you? What are you? Are you an angel that's come down from heaven? Did you come from the moon? I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners. Oh, but you have a flesh too, Heishimu. I had to learn this. Unjust, adulterers, the carnal mind is enmity against God. I, I, I don't have to... I don't have to rape another woman to be guilty of sexual sin if I lust in my heart. If I look upon her and lust after her, I've committed adultery in the sight of God. He would send that man to hell because he's holy infinitely and he cannot stand the stain of sin. It's an iniquity that cannot approach his person. That's why the blood of Christ is necessary. It's needful. Oh, I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, but who cares? That can't make you righteous with God. That can't make God forgive our sin. Oh, I give tithes of all I possess. So what? Christ gave up his precious life. Is that good enough for me and you? What Christ did to make us accepted with God? That's called faith. As long as I'm trusting in what I've done, I'm not trusting in him. I'm offering God something blemished and I have a lamb. 
I'm a deceiver. I'm cursed. I'm deceiving people. I'm cursed myself with self-righteous pride. That's where I was when God found me. I was a preacher when he saved me. A sincere preacher when he saved me. Verse 13, and the tax collector standing far off, he was going to be righteous in just a few moments. Just a few words later, he'd be righteous. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. Is that me and you without God's grace? Yes. I can't look up to God. I have no access unto God. He's too holy and I'm too sinful. But he beat his breast saying, what God be merciful. And is the brother here is, 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 um, is, is he is studying Greek. He could tell us if he had his Greek Bible with him. Is God be merciful to me, the sinner, the sinner. There's only one kind of sinner that's talked about in this Bible, a total depravity sinner, a sinner who can do no good, who has nothing he can give God, who needs our Lord Jesus Christ desperately, who can't save himself at all, can't do anything good, can't even come to Christ. That's the type of sinner that you and I are. And if we are the sinner, I'm the biggest sinner I've ever heard of. The sinner, you'll have mercy on us. I tell you this. This man went down to his house justified. How was he made righteous? By faith. The confession of sins is putting my trust in Christ. God be merciful. Be propitious. That's the Greek. Give me a bloody atonement. Give me a sacrifice. Pay for my sin yourself. Christ died. That's why you will receive me. That's faith. That man was accepted by God. Mm. And I went home justified and happy. I knew that I was elect because I believed the gospel. In fact, I sat there in my seat as he's preaching and I said in my heart, how can I get in on this? I know that God has died to save the elect, the surety of the sheep. He's risen. He's been resurrected. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, of the majesty and power. He has all power in his hands. He exercises his power over demons and he shall save his people irrevocably. It can't be stopped. He's a sovereign God. He will save us. How can I get in on this? Whoever believes. That's what the preacher said. It's for whoever he leaves. And I said, I believe. I'm free. I know I'm elect. And that's when power and peace, it flooded my heart, it filled my heart. 
I knew I had God. I was walking with God. I was forgiven. I was accepted in the beloved. I had the inheritance. And everyone who believes has the whole thing. That was my beginning. But my pride took over. Now I'm going to be saying some things that you might not believe. Is you might not believe that they are a Christian or possible for a Christian. I believe I was a Christian. I believe I can back it up with scripture. But I had many a fall. Pride took over. And here's what happened. A, 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 a couple of years later, I had been preaching with power. Some people I hope were converted. And I got proud in the flesh, thinking I could handle it. And here is what happened. And this may be so um, appropriate, so timely, so personal unto me and you both here right now. This may, this may really touch you as to where you're at or as to where you will be is I had an older pastor who had taught me the gospel. And this man was faithful. But he had things that were wrong. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. And this is hard in the north. If your pastor is right on nine things but on this one that's not, that is that is number 10 if you know it's wrong according unto the scriptures are you going to do it are you going to preach it are you going to obey it are you going to practice it are you going to silence god and obey your pastor. Because that's what it does. It silences God in our conscience. If he doesn't have our obedience. He won't speak unto us. If I come unto him in my Bible. I only want to be forgiven. I don't want to be holy in my life. He won't speak unto us. And I'll be speaking on that. Or tomorrow morning. Um, even more so from the book Hebrews it's the book of Luke 11 and verse number 13 but this pastor told me to leave a church quietly it's, it's the other pastor I was under I was an assistant pastor but from Matthew 18 I saw and so we can turn there. This is what I saw. As I studied the scriptures at the beginning, I was perplexed on the subject. But after a while, the scriptures became clear. And so Matthew 18 and beginning at verse number 15. 
And I was an under-shepherd of, of sorts. I was an assistant pastor. As, I was an, as, as to when I heard the gospel, I was an assistant pastor at this Baptist church. I preached the gospel with fire. I was a little bit more mean than I should have been. I'm still working on that. But that pastor eventually asked me to leave. And you know what happened that day? I left so happy. I drove home so happy. I was actually coming into his office that day to tell him I had to leave. Because our ways had parted after I heard the gospel. As I began preaching Christ and he and, and grace and he was still preaching the works of the flesh. And he was almost there, but he wasn't there and he wasn't changing. And the people were getting angry, especially his wife and the head deacon. They hated the things I preached because they were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. And pastors, wives, you men must be careful. They can be the most evil people in the congregation in self-righteous pride. And pastors too, but pastors' wives can scorch you over the gospel. I've seen it place after place. But this man, he cast me out, and I went to another church as to where the gospel was preached occasionally, but we're supposed to preach it all the time. And I went unto the man, it was according unto this text of scripture, and I told him that you must preach Christ always, and he told me I can't. It isn't inside of him. And so Matthew 18, verse, what do you do then as to with your pastor? If he tells you, I can't preach a gospel, do you leave those people in his hands unwarned? Oh, no, you do not. It's from Matthew 18, verse number 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, if you go tell him his fault between you and him alone. I did that. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. I went unto him after much prayer and tears. I loved him more than anybody in that congregation uh, perhaps more than his wife, because I loved him sincerely from a heart of faith in Christ. And I had been praying for this man for over a year. It was actually over 18 months. Verse 16, but if he will not hear, Take with you one or two more. If he won't change and repent, if he won't uh, confess his sins and come clean, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. Does that only have to do with fornication? Or does that even have to do with a preacher that's not preaching the gospel? As you see, you want me to tell you my story and how I got as to where I am. Some of these things are unbelievable. But they're in the scriptures. But they are dramatic. 
They are a break with our natural reason and our natural way of doing things. That is the man who's used by God. The man, it could be some of the sisters, like our sister Mary Slesser, she came and helped the children here so much, helped spread the gospel well. But the man in the pulpit that's used by God, the individual that is used by God has abandoned himself unto God. There are no tricks in a seminar. There is no PowerPoint message. There is nothing that can help us but to abandon ourselves unto God and follow him according to scriptures through the gospel, through thick and thin, even if they kill us. And some of our opposition is going to come more from Muslims or from Christians. As, as what do you think? There won't be any Muslims in your church that will be angry at you for preaching Christ. <laughs> But there will be many Christians there, perhaps, who don't know the gospel. But they've been baptized and they've been Christian their whole life. Quote, unquote, it's they're here in the north, it's in their culture, and you're going to have to stand against them for the gospel. It takes courage. It takes God-given courage. It's the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is taught to us a special way. So I'm going to tell you about my journey. And I'm going to keep going throughout the scriptures. Because everything I saw, it was in the word of God. I didn't see a vision or a dream. I saw God in this book. Step to step. And that's how we walk with God, right? Verse number 16, but if you will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. I did not do that verse. I did not obey it. Why? It's my senior pastor elsewhere. My evangelist who taught, my evangelist who taught me the gospel this man who preached so well in so many ways, he told me, don't, don't cause trouble, but just leave quietly. But the scripture says, and I'm a member of that church. I'm known in that church. I'm to bring another brother or two who I know can see the same issue and sit down with the pastor and plead with him and beg. It isn't haughty. It isn't arrogant, but is it is actually begging him that God's and his word is more important in the gospel than anything else in our life. And if he had heard, wonderful, I would never tell anybody I even talked to him. But if he does not hear, there's to be a, there is to be a third step. And here's what God told me to do. Verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, if we brought another couple of saints, tell it to the church. I should have stood up before I left, if I was able, if he allowed me, 
to say, this is my grievance. This is my grief. This is what's burdening me. This is what's bothering me. This is why I'm leaving if it's not going to change. There's a problem here that Christ is not preached. And the problem, the thing is that, 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 that he is not more important than the church. The most important thing is the sheep and the glory of God. Even if it costs us everything, our life. We obey God, we give him glory, and the sheep get the gospel if it costs us our life. Nobody else is a shepherd. Everybody else is a hireling. They're after themselves, and they have a price. It could be money. It could be proud ambition. And for me at that time, here's what it was. I did not want to lose the favor of that man. I thought that man could open doors for me. But who opens doors? And we really believe that? It's the revelations in chapter number three. This is what I learned after God brought me back unto the gospel. And I'll get into that just a bit later. But let's see this text here right now. It's to Revelations 3, verse number 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He who is true and utterly faithful. Responsible for our salvation. He who has the key of David. He has it. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He opens all doors. He's our righteousness in the sight of God and he opens all doors on earth. He opens the door into heaven and he opens the door into earth. He opens doors. Verse eight, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and who can shut it? No one can shut it. Do I need any man on earth to open a door for me? No. Do you need any man on earth to open a door for you? If we believe that, it will change our conduct. I will fear no man. I'll preach the gospel. I'll serve God. I'll honor God. And whatever happens, I'll go to him. As to when I first came into Nigeria, I was working with the church that I wanted to help. They claim to believe the, the gospel. And this pastor told me, because I was going to go preach in Aquaibum unto some orphans, that, that I could not work with that church 
because he would not allow me to go there and preach. It's the reason he said was it was too dangerous. Now, in a quiet boom, it is not dangerous. But the reason was he wanted to control me. And he offered me all of Lagos. Or you can help plant a church here, 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 here. But you're going to have to be controlled. You're going to have to be controlled by me. Is a missionary uh, controlled by anybody? He's controlled by God. And he does what he does because he's faithful. Now look, anybody on earth can tell us that we are wrong and we have to do it rightly. That's true. A small child, a small girl can come up and with an open Bible say, Pastor, you're wrong. And if she's right, I'm wrong. And I'm going to bow down and obey God. It's not that little girl telling me. It's God through that little girl, through the scriptures telling me. And I've got to bow down. We have to bow down because we fear God. But the Lord Jesus is saying, it's a door that no one can shut. It's a a door that no one can shut. For you have a little strength and have kept my word. After that church cast me out, I began to preach his gospel all over Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Either 27 or maybe 28 states I have preached here. And all my money was gone like that as well. But God, he raised up others and I've kept going. Thing I'm saying is faithfulness unto God and reliance on God. So that's what happened, and I lost my ministry power. This was back in the excuse me. This was back in California and the USA. And so when this happened and I did not obey God and I feared that man, as you know what God did, is he rebuked me and he went away. And that spirit and that power I had been enjoying. I was a preacher. I was preaching God's grace with power. I had it feelingly in my heart. It departed and it was gone. And you know the next thing that the the next thing that happened I made the biggest mistake in my entire life. How can anybody guess 
as to what it was. What's the biggest thing that me and you could ever do wrong if God has left us? What's the biggest mistake that I could make? I'm, I'm asking. And you need to know this for your own experience and for your congregation. Because if we sin often, how do we deal with it? The biggest mistake I could make, it was what? If you sin against God, what's the biggest thing that you could do wrong next? Refuse to repent is to keep going. Here's what I did. I came unto God in shame and I said I was wrong for that decision. But I got it. You've departed. But I'll keep going now. And at the end, I'm going to build this great church is I know the doctrine and I have zeal and you're going to be so proud of me. And then when you come back, Lord, I'm going to show you what I've done for you. Is that is that is is that a mistake? Is that a problem? Our Lord Jesus said, is without me, you can do nothing. I had to learn that the hard way. It took me 18 years. So first, I tried self-righteousness and human strength. And he beat that down and crushed it. And then I tried licentiousness and just not caring about the gospel of Christ with passion. And I was preaching five times a week. But my heart was somewhere else. I had some joy. And I had some passion. But I loved not the world, but I loved it. I wasn't in the world. But I was in it because my heart, it was not in passionate fire with God. And when he would restore me just a little bit, I did not know how I needed this passion always. There's a verse that's in the book of Isaiah in chapter 40. And I want you to explain as to what it means. And we will talk about its, its, its subject matter more tomorrow morning. I think it's the most important thing I could teach unto a group of people who know God or who want to follow God. But this verse here is... Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 29. I'd like a person to read that and explain as to what it means in its depth and in its detail. It's Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 29. 
Please. They give power to the child, and to the him who has no might to increase his strength. Mm hmm. By the Western Empire. What does it mean? What does it mean for the Christian life? And who is a Christian? Does he have strength to obey? <laughs> That's a good answer. He does not have strength to live the Christian life. Just because you and I are a new creation and we have been born again on the inside, that does not mean that we have the power to live the Christian life. That power comes from God only. Hmm? How often do we need that power? Every day of our life. So if we're living Christianity without the gospel coming into our heart with power, to make us enjoy God and love God. We're just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. That is the majority of Christianity in this world. There are people who know the doctrine of God's grace, but they can't live with power because they're not enjoying it with power. What happens to a new Christian? Oh, he gets that joy. He has freshly seen God. His sins are forgiven and the gospel is giving him a thrill in his soul. And he has to go out and tell other people because he's believing the things he's saying and experiencing them in his heart with power and, and passions flowing out. That's the Christian life from start unto the finish. And if we lose that power of the Holy Spirit, yes, we can go through the motions, but eventually we shall fall. It could be licentiousness. It could be legalism. It could be morality. It could be worldliness. It will be the love of this world if I don't have the love of God passionately in my heart with power. That's the key. That's the big thing that I've come to leave you with. And we'll be talking about it more tomorrow of the Lord willing. That happened unto me for 18 years. And at the end of my 18 years, I was weary. I was weary. And you know what happened unto me? I, is I quit the ministry. Swore I would never preach again. I hated preaching. I asked God to take it out of my heart. I realized I didn't care about other people's souls. I had all the doctrine. Everything I'm saying right now is I knew so much of it in my head, but not here. And I have been resisting sin in my own strength. But here's how it ended with me. Here's how my revival came. I got drunk on a Friday night. A few weeks earlier, 
I had skipped church on Easter. So I'm not a pastor anymore, but I'm a, I'm, I am attending a church. And I helped the pastor in his office. I explained to him the gospel. And he has become a great preacher of the gospel. After I was revived, it's the Lord spoke unto him. And he's preaching the gospel now. But on that Sunday, I didn't go to church out of laziness and out of my indifference towards God. And I'm at the store. It's Easter Sunday. And I see this black couple. It's an older woman in their Easter gear. And so as to where I was is a place called San Jose. There aren't that many, you know, African-Americans we call ourselves at times. There aren't that many black Americans there. And so I saw this older woman and it was obvious that she had gone to church on Easter and it convicted my heart. So I began to read my Bible and just like Samson, my hair began to grow back. But this Friday night, well, this, it started on Thursday. I got small drunk. And then on Friday, I got big drunk. I got as, I got as, as, I got as drunk as I had been since I had become a Christian. All the way back in my party days. And I staggered home. And I woke up on Saturday morning. And you know what happened? That saved my soul. I was convicted of my sin. I said, this is wrong. This is not who I am. If I had not been convicted, it would have proved I didn't know God. If I could have gone back into my sin like a dog does unto his vomit, it proves I don't know God and everything was fake. But I couldn't go back. I had been tempted to. I had been tempted to leave Christ and love the world. And it had been growing and growing and growing and growing for years. And especially after I quit preaching, the temptation to make money and get me a wife and just to settle down and have fun. There's plenty of money to be made over there. And I was making it in a very good job. I was had my own business of sorts. I'm in sales. And so you own your own stuff. You can make millions of dollars. I could I could have been retired in five years. Easy to do there if you have some talent there's so many opportunities i feel for you people here that have it's the opportunities are much more scarce but but over there the temptation to love the world is something you've never imagined here it's stronger than anything i've experienced here even in lagos or abuja i flew into los angeles just just about uh, uh, is the last time I was home was in uh, 2020. Yes. And it was just temptation island everywhere. I entered into a, a I entered into another world. 
But on that Saturday, I was convicted for my sin, that that's not the person that I want to be. I don't want to, and I don't want to go to hell. And so on Sunday morning, as I got to church early, I had been going to church late. And, and this will all help you understand how I got into my mission and how I preach the gospel faithfully now. It was God that revived me. But on that Sunday morning, he showed me a text. It's in the book of Titus in chapter 2. And once again, everything I've learned is in the scriptures. It's the book of Titus in chapter 2. After 2 Timothy. And I was reading this. And I wasn't quite a young man. I think at the time I was. Yes, I was a 45. But, but I was still almost included. In Titus 2 verse number 6. And eight, it says this in verse number eight is what really caught my attention. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech. That cannot be condemned. And here's what got me. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say about you. That got me because it showed me what true Christianity was and what I had to be or I was rolling the dice with my soul. I was risking my soul. And so God showed me that there were two ways. I could be all in for Christ and live a blameless life. I could spend my life bringing other people unto Jesus Christ. They could not have anything bad to say about me so that when I invited them on the church, they could not look at me and say, hmm, you're a Christian? No, I had to be perfect and fruitful and mature, a real and genuine and sincere Christian. I don't mean perfect, that's without sin, but, but I mean perfect, that is fruit bearing, and he's honestly, he is obviously not a hypocrite. And the other path that I could have chosen is sin. Disregard this message and close my eyes and harden my heart. But you know the problem with hardening your heart? Is you may never get back with God. Since salvation is by sovereign grace. He elects us. He chooses us. He gives us faith. I can harden my heart, but I can't soften it. I can go into sin, but I can't bring myself out of sin. That's a work of God. 
That conviction is a work of God. That power over sin is a work of God. That faith is a work of God. And I may never come unto him sincerely again in my life. He may harden me such that I do not care. I could become an atheist. I could just be in my sin and not care, not have any conviction, not have any conscience. I could die and be cut down at any time. The Lord Jesus Christ could come from heaven at any moment and I'd be captured and sent into hell. Matthew chapter 24. Here's the text that really changed my mind and told me I had to be all in. This is my story. This is how it happened unto me. Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 45, through the end of the chapter, God made this warning crystal clear. And as I was contemplating those two paths, I said, I have to be all in, I have to be all in for Christ. It's not worth it risking my soul. And so what I thought was, I'll get joy in heaven forever. And I'll get whatever joy he gives me in this world. And he surprised me with a lot of joy in this world. More joy than I could ever imagine in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what made me addicted unto God. But even that, it wanes and it must be recovered. It's a warfare. But from Matthew chapter number 24... Verse number 45 through 51. I hope this is not disappointing you, but, but all of this is important in the making of a preacher, in the making of a missionary, in the making of an independent person, in the making of a person who fears God and who gets power. And so who then, Matthew 24, verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, he will find so doing. Preaching the gospel. He's living a holy life. He's being blameless. He's bringing others unto Christ. His life is all about the gospel business. He, he's all about that gospel. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says, if I know the gospel. And says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Is is I won't be living for his glory even though I know all of this in my head. As I was in Yola, this was um, this was on Saturday and on Sunday and on Monday. I was supposed to be um, I was supposed to be flying um, into Castina or into Abuja on Monday on. On, on Sunday morning. And so the people did not know that I and my assistant 
uh, were actually coming unto the house. It's a woman who owns his house. Uh, she used to be in politics, uh, uh, but she's in Abuja mostly. And so she opened her house, and I came, and I think that the servant girl was sleeping in the main bed. And they looked so shocked as me and this other person came, this, 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 this other sister. But I missed my flight on Sunday morning. I was preaching elsewhere, and we messed up as to with our timing. And so they expected us to be gone. And then I came back after we missed our flight. And you should have seen the surprise on their face and the disappointment. I came when they were not ready. And the house, it, it still needed work. It still needed work. And I came back and they were not ready and surprised. That's not how our master wants to find you and me. He doesn't want to come back and me and you weren't ready. I wasn't doing what he said do. I was doing something else. I was not considering him. I was saying this is my life and I'm going to use it. I'm going to live it how I want to. I don't want that. That's a curse from God. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants. He has the gospel, but he's not preaching. He doesn't preach Christ unto his neighbor. He just he just he just gets along with people without telling them that they're going to have to die and meet God. He's just one of the boys. He's not preaching the gospel in his sermons. And to eat and drink with the drunkards. He's hanging out with sinners instead of bringing them to Christ. It's the Lord Jesus was with the drunkards. But he never got drunk and he preached himself. He preached the gospel. He, he truly loved them. Oh, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. He does not know God, even if his confession is accurate. Even if he has a degree from Equa Theological Seminary, his fruits they will know if he knows God or not. You judge a tree by its fruit, not by its position in the church house. Not by its schooling or its education. It's fine to be a teacher, but let's teach and live for God from our hearts. And there shall be weeping and he's going to hell. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That text put in me something called the Fear of God. I have to obey. It's the book of Jeremiah. Chapter number 32. The, the fear of God. Is one of the greatest blessings. That God could ever give unto you. And me. What does the fear of God mean? 
Who can tell me? What's the fear of God at its essence? Hate evil. Okay. And and what does that mean within our life? And as to how does it translate in our life? There's a word I'm looking for. It starts with an O. Obedient. Obedient above all cost. Mm-hmm. Above my life, above death, above my family, above my children, above eating. It's above clothing. It's above house. It's above car. It's above job. It's above man. It's above the hatred of man. It's above anything in this world. I choose obedience more than anything in existence. It's my number one priority in life. Anybody who has that fear of God and then goes unto God for that obedience is an overcomer, is a superhero on this earth. You get strength to obey and you can't be intimidated or bought. You are an independent man. You are a preacher relying upon God. You are unstoppable. Men may cast you out, but God won't. And men may slander you, but God knows the truth. And men may hate you, but God, you're an unstoppable person. And the fear of man is gone. It's been replaced by the fear of God. And that's the only remedy for the fear of man. It's the fear of God. I'm going to obey him no matter what. No questions asked. If my wife leaves me, if my children die. Abraham, offer up your son Isaac. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As you said it, sir, I'm going to do it, sir. There's only one ogre that is to be obeyed. And when me and you have the fear of God, then it will make us treat everybody else properly. I'll respect an older man. I will love my wife if I have one. I'll be kind and honorable towards my children. I'll respect. I will love people. I'll be obeying God in all of my interactions, but it will be obeying God. I'll be obeying and I'll be reverent unto my pastor as I'm in obedience unto God. But I'm not looking at my pastor like a dog. I'm looking at God like a dog. I'm a Caleb, a faithful dog. Whatever you say, I will do it. Just help me and give me the strength. That's a man who cannot be conquered. That's the only kind of man that we can be and serve God. That's the only kind of preacher that we can be and be faithful. That's the only way that we can be happy in this world. That man is happy. He fears God above everybody and everything else. He fears God and God gives him obedience and he's happy because obedience is the best thing on earth. From a willing, submissive heart It's the best thing God can give us. It's not money. It's not even health. And I appreciate health. I value health. But money can't take away my sins and cleanse my conscience. Health can't make us at peace with God. There's nothing that can, that can give that joy. And if you've been without it for 18 years and you get it back, 
and experience his power even more and more than ever. You got something that hold on to that's precious and he will guide you through this world and whatever he says and whatever he wants for you, he will do it. Do you understand? That's a man on mission. He's been taught by God. It's his ministry. He designs the organization. He comes up with all ideas. He says here, there, or there. He does everything. It's not the man. If it's the man, it's worthless. It's in the flesh. It's pride. It's ego. It's self. But if it's God doing it, it will bear fruit. It will be God doing it. Not the man. It's not the human. It's the God. But this is how he brings us on the journey to fear him. And once we have that, we cannot be stopped. It doesn't matter who we're preaching to. We'll preach it faithfully because we fear God. We're scared of God, not them. I want to obey you, not please them. I'm concerned about you, not them. Help me to love them and be true and faithful and honorable. But this is all about you because nobody can do what you do. And nobody is worthy like you. Nobody saves me from sin like you. Nobody subdues and puts down the power of sin. And if you've ever struggled with sin and been unable to obey God, all the guilt, shame, the confusion, the fear of man and, and the bad fear of God, that there is a fear of God that makes you run in the opposite direction. Adam, Adam, where are you? But there's another fear of God. It's the good fear of God. That makes us run unto God. Lord, help me obey. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry I disobeyed. Help me overcome my sin. Oh, give me the blood of Christ upon my conscience. Be propitious unto me, the sinner. And he'll help us. And he'll give us grace. And he delights to give us obedience for Christ's sake, to give us the Holy Spirit. But well, here's what the scripture says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 32. All these scriptures were applied unto my heart from time to time in their season. We'll start at verse number, verse number 37 from, from the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 32. Is behold, as I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. That is chastisement. That's the 18 years that I spent in bondage. That's Israel. It was when they had to go into Babylon. Now, I will tell you something here that is important. Don't ever be afraid, saints, to go unto the Bible and see your experiences and to be backed up. If I'm experiencing something, if I'm believing something, 
even if it brings us great joy, if it's not found in the Bible, it's a delusion. And it's better to cast it off and get rid of it. Speaking in tongues in the Bible is not ha ba 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 ba. It's speaking foreign languages you never learned. If 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 we could speak in tongues, then we could preach a gospel in Tiv. I could speak in Hausa. You could speak in Yoruba. You could speak in Chinese or in Amraic. It's other languages that people understood from their birth. Acts chapter 2. Other dialects. It's not So we need to change our thinking and compare our experiences unto the Bible. If it's not Bible, you throw it away. But if it's real, as you go back in the Bible, he'll show you it's there and expand your thinking. Expand your mind. He will show you himself. If he has revealed himself in, in a special way, it'll be backed up in this book. And when he brought me out of Babylon, he showed me in the prophets how he brought Israel out of Babylon. And how he sent them into Babylon as chastisement for our sins and how he brings us out as a great deliverer. It's as great as a second salvation. It is so great, he says elsewhere in the book of, in the book of in the book of Jeremiah. It's either chapter 15, it's chapter 16 actually, that his people would no longer talk about being saved from Egypt. They would talk about being saved from Babylon. This experience is so great. This deliverance is so great. And some of you are in Babylon now. It's the common position of, of actually most Christians. Because we leave our first love and the experience of the power of God. And so we go off to be chastened and we lack joy and spiritual power. And that's why we obey men. And that's why we fear men is we're in Babylon. And we're under the bondage of the chain. And we care more about what people think than actually what God says. And we're not getting our joy from the gospel and ministry, sir. It becomes a job. Something I've got to do to feed my family, but I can't wait to close my Bible and go do something else. Oh, what's on TV? <laughs> and it's okay to watch it at time and season, but have God in your heart as your power. That's coming out of Babylon. And he'll give it to all who ask him. To, to all who approach him in fear. And say, I've got to obey you. And that's what happened unto me on Monday. On Friday, drunk. On Saturday, convicted. On Sunday, I'm at the crossroads and I choose Christ. And on Monday, 
I go to him for power. I was struggling with pornography. After I got out of preaching, I was struggling with pornography. Some of you men, as you may know, the power it has over us. It's a powerful weapon of the devil. Because we can do it in secret and nobody knows. It's our secret shame and guilt. And there are other sins. But, but they manifest our bondage that we can't get over it and we can't get out. That's why me and you need to cry out and, and we need to plead the precious blood. Even though I'm a sinner and I'm filthy, the blood has made atonement. I'm forgiven and I'm accepted by God at my worst and at my filthiness. As abominable, obnoxious as I am, I can approach God through the blood of Christ, the precious blood, and he will help me. And he helps us how? Who does he send to help us? His spirit. It is called Christ, but it's his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the comfort. He's the helper. He sends the helper for Christ's sake. And the helper helps us overcome sin by bringing us to God continually. And the fear of God in our heart plus faith in Christ to be why God will make me able to obey. That is the essence of the Christian life. And I don't know if, if God has called you to be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, a doctor, or to die in the morning. I don't know the calling of God. But when you and I have the fear of God and we walk by faith, we cannot be stopped. And we will accomplish our purpose and no man can stop. They can kill the body, but they can't make us disobey God. We're invincible at that time, and we are free men. We're no longer under bondage if we're obeying God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything else is bondage on earth. You hear that? I think it flies overhead so many times. Everything else is bondage on earth except obeying God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's with joy and peace. It's from the inside, the heart. He's doing it. He's doing it with power. That's how Paul was able to minister and to never complain. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's hungry. He's homeless. <laughs> and, he's been, and, he, and he never complained in the scriptures about anything. It's he's in the power. And if you need a plan for a business that will help his kingdom, it's, it's he'll give it. 
If you need grace to be poor, he'll give it. If, if you need strength or I need strength to endure sickness, it's he'll give it. If he wants us to be missionaries, he'll give it. If, if he wants us to run an, an organization, he'll do it. If he wants us to raise millions to spread the gospel, he'll do it. It's, 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 it is my staff. As to how many people do you think are on my team? Now we do medical missions all over Nigeria. Free medication. As I was in, um, is the last place, I think is it's called Mina. It's in Adamara State. And we gave out uh, uh, 300 vaccinations. And it's about 25% of their population has hepatitis B. <laughs> and it will kill you if you don't take care of yourself. And so we helped a lot of people. And we helped educate them. And we plan uh, to be coming back uh, with even more resources. The the actual previous week is we did a medical mission. This was in um, it was in Benway. Two hundred free surgeries, and about uh, and about three thousand people got got free medication. How many people are on my staff, you think? Books. I have published and handed out for free over 3,000 books that, that I've written. I've been living in Nigeria for five years. I have no salary from anybody. Nobody owes me anything, and I don't ask anybody for money or myself ever. There's only been one time I've asked anybody, and it was to get land, and I told them, after we get it, I'm going to sell a portion, and we're going to pay you back within a year. That's our plan. That particular deal with the land, it, 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 you know, it's, it's Nigeria. It wasn't real, and so I told them, it's your money's here, and they told me to keep it. How many people are on my staff? Guess. Guess. I have preached in over 26 states. And so it's, it's the hotel, it's the airfare. Guess. As to with his particular meeting, I didn't even make a call because I have a person who helps me and she handles everything. Guess. Guess now. Well, a hundred. A hundred. On staff, a thousand? That's a lot of staff. Is your close? I have one. 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 Well, it's it is it's myself and one. Yes. 
And you know what I pay her? Absolutely nothing. Mm, mm. Absolutely nothing. She does it for the glory of God, just like me. Mm? And the Lord has provided her some other ways of she makes her own money. Mm. And if I have something to give her in appreciation, it's a gift, yeah. but it isn't owed. Hmm? Yeah. I have no salary. I have no job but preaching this gospel. And the Lord hooked me up with this medical team. And he had me preach unto them. And I preached very faithfully. And he had them ask us if we want to come with them and do medical missions. And he gave me the courage and boldness to begin to weed out the false prophets in the group. And so our group now is in charge of all of the preaching of the gospel as the doctor to do the medication. Mm -hmm. There are men I have met at the seminars who have learned the gospel and I call them and say, it's a medical mission. And so we pay their transport, but we owe them no money. If the organization pays them or if I give them something is fine, but they do it because they love God. They're not in it for money. Any man I find that is preaching for money, I will not use him ever. Is we're not covetous people. We're in this for the glory of God. So, it's the point I'm making is he uses people who are after his glory and obedient unto him more than I could ask or wish. I have no salary. I ask nobody for money. And I've raised, it could be $50,000 in these five years. Without asking. Now, I realize that I'm from a country with a lot more money. There's no doubt about that. But people see the work I'm doing and they give. So you don't need money in Nigeria to serve God. Is you need God. Only. And he'll guide you as to whatever you need. If you need to do farming on the side, that's what you do. I don't like paying pastors. It's the men I work with. I try to help them get started in, in some kind of a business to take care of themselves. And then we don't have to compromise on any preaching in order to please people. You can just feed the people with the gospel. But uncompromising boldness in the fear of God and in the love of God in your heart by the gospel, that's what works wonders. It's not a, it isn't Harvard Business School. It's not anything from American ingenuity. It's yeah. God in the Bible. And, and the path of this great God to bring us into obedience so he can give us his blessing is <laughs> the fear of God and chastisement. Now, 
if you're young and you haven't been chastened, great. Let's keep going now. And everyone shall be chastened in his own way. But if you've been in the depths of the dungeon of despair, you failed and you have ruined your life. Oh, take hope. I've been there. That's where he called me from. I would have taken my own life, except I was too embarrassed. I felt like a failure. I had I had given my life unto something and failed. And I don't like that. And it was shameful and embarrassing. I quit ministry. And God called me out of the gutter. He calls us out of the gutter. He saves sinners. He sticks his hand in the in the manure. Right? That's where he gets us. And then he cleanses us. And then he uses us. He sets us free. And that's why we preach grace in this gospel all the time. Oh, the grace of God can help the sinner. Just look unto Jesus and trust him. He will do it. Anything he has planned for us, he will do it. Just follow him. He'll make us to be fishers of men. And if you're a pastor or a missionary or you're a school teacher at a university, the influence that you can have over people, over students is amazing. These universities are hotbeds for preaching the gospel. If we preach it, is you open up a door, you have a room, you get the you tell the students as they question your character and your integrity and your love and you tell them hey there's a group here on campus and some men come preach and you raise up some of the young people who spread the gospel into the world have ideas ask God ask God is we're going to try a free food program and so we're going to start out but just once a month with the children They'll come, won't they? It's an area that's just outside of Abuja. There's got some Muslims. It's got some poor people. It has some other people with nicer jobs. Meet right there. Pass out a free breakfast on Saturdays. Let the children come. Teach them the gospel. Help them with their studies in English and math. But teach them the gospel and then on Sunday meet and open the doors and hope their parents and the neighbors come and plant a church just preaching the gospel. That'll cost $100 a month. And if anybody else is interested, it'll happen every week. I can't afford it every week, but for once a month, I can. And plant a church that's preaching the gospel. And help these hungry children as you see them, don't you, begging? And it touches your heart, a child begging? And the Muslim girls are so oppressed that they don't have any gospel? And they think they're so less than that all they have to do is look up unto a man as a fourth wife? Doesn't that burden you? Do what you can in prayer unto God and he'll bless it. If it's for his glory, he'll bless it. And if this fails, if it's for his glory, it'll open up another door. 
there will be something learned again. There will be somebody that heard that will open another door. Keep going and serve God. Be optimistic about the gospel. The elect shall hear. Let's get back into our text. Because I want to read this. And then I want to have a break. So it's behold is it's the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse number 37 is behold. I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them. He chased us. He chastened us in my anger, in my fury. It's love, but it is chastisement and it hurts. And in great wrath, it's not the. It isn't the wrath he has on the non-elect. It's not the wrath he has on Esau, but it's the wrath of chastisement and his love. How do you know? I will bring them back to this place. I will cause them to, 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 to I will cause them to dwell safely. And for me, I'm a stutterer. I don't have to be an an articulate preacher. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to know God. Get God in your Bible, in your heart, and go speak for his glory. And he will use it according unto your gift. Verse number 38. They shall be my people. I will be their God. That's the promise. That's the inheritance. It's not money. It's not clothes. It's not house. It's God. It's something better. Then I will give them one heart and one way. I will give it to them that they may fear me forever. This has to be a gift of God. If it's the good fear of the Lord that brings us unto Christ and obedience, it's the gift of God. It's for the good of them and their children after them, all who hear the gospel by them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good. These are the same people that he bought as the surety of the covenant. But I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. They will stay near unto me all the days of their life. From now on, they've been chastened by God. And they hate the fear of God. That's dread. That's guilt. That's shame. And they love the fear of God. That's love. That brings me near. That gets Christ's grace. That gets the reward of obedience. Oh, sweet life. Christianity is filled with joy when we obey by the Holy Spirit. It's a joy that no man can give or take away. It's a joy that's on the inside and there's peace. There's power over sin. There's power to obey. Imagine how I felt when I got free from pornography. <laughs> hmm? And how we feel as we get free from sins that are holding us down. Sins often repeated. Oh, the guilt of drunkenness or shame or doing whatever it is that we're doing that's not right with God. 
And he gives us power to obey and a submitted heart. And he makes us have the peace and joy of the gospel. And he makes us fruitful unto him. Because we have this fear inside our hearts. And so we never go away anymore. We stick with God. If we sin, it's, it's, we confess it clearly and quickly until we get power to obey and sin no more with joy. It's not, I've sinned and so he's against me, but I'll, it's, I will do the best I can. No way. It's, I've sinned, Lord, and I can't go anywhere until you help me. And it may take me three months or six months to get my joy back. That means that I'm learning a lesson the hard way. I'm learning to hate my sin. I'm learning to love God and fight with temptation. I'm learning to wrestle with the devil. It is much better than to disappoint my God. I'm learning obedience comes first and I cherish it. But I'm calling upon you to give me the joy to restore my heart so I can see your face. And in that six month period of chastisement, it could be for six minutes or for six hours or six days. But in that period, I'm learning my lessons and he's giving me strength, but not the fullness of joy. Don't stop until you get the fullness of joy. Get that fullness of joy back into your life as part of our inheritance that's been purchased by Christ. The blood of Christ has bought our joy, but it's through obedience by faith and the good fear of God. Verse 41, yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. I will assuredly plant them in this land that's the promised land, all the joy and peace of the gospel, the obedience, the power of sin, the fruit of the spirit with all my heart and with all my soul. It's with all my heart. It's with all my soul. Uh, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. So. Let me pray here, please. Our Father, as we pray unto you, we ask you for direction. Should we continue for a little while longer? I believe so, Father. Just a little while longer, but let me hear from these men. Our Father, help us to be obedient unto you and to love you 
than to give you the crazy obedience as it is in the eyes of men. They call us crazy for obeying you. But they don't know the sweetness, the joy, the peace, and your goodness, how sweet you are. You're the best thing going and you fill our hearts. And we want to obey you and honor you and to give you all of the glory. And you lead us and guide us how you want us to serve you. For our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. As if you just be, just be small patient. As to when I came here, I was content to preach to five people that were plagued with leprosy on the side of the road and to never be heard from again by anybody in the United States. Now, I'm an unmarried man. Obviously, I have more freedom. But the contentment doing the will of God, even if it meant absolutely nothing in the eyes of men, is because the contentment, it was with God. As long as I have you, no matter what you want me doing. I think that is the attitude that we have to have if we want to do God's will. If, if we want to be somebody, if we're looking for success, if we're looking for a platform, if we're looking uh, to be relevant, it's all gibberish. It's all irrelevant. But if we're looking unto the glory of God, I just want to please you. I just want to honor you. I just want to be with you and enjoy you. He will guide us and direct us. And he will do best. Um, it's been a couple of hours. And you're is your brain, it might be tired. If I talk fast and there is a lot of information there. Let's have a break. And then after the break, so we can use a restroom and you get some water. Then we'll come back. Either we'll continue or we'll, or we can uh, pick it up again in the morning. Okay. Let's have a break. It's, uh, I say maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. Okay, thank you.